release the Kraken! Welcome into another edition of Random Thoughts and Best Regards. I am your host, T-O-Double-D, and I thank you for joining us on this week's Toddcast. And we have a new expansion team in the NHL. It is official. The name and logo was dropped this past week. The Seattle Kraken will begin playing in the NHL in 2021. And man, what a sharp logo and name. Man, Seattle and the NHL, they hit it out of the ballpark with this one. One of the best expansion names and logos that I have seen in in quite some time. Uh, Again, Seattle Kraken is the official name of the franchise. The primary logo is a very sleek looking S in the top curve of the S. There is the red eye of the Kraken. There's also in the middle some texturization that makes it look like the scales of the Kraken's back. It's just really, really sharp. This is going to make a killing in merchandise. Uh, This is going to be, you know, right up there with uh, when the Charlotte Hornets dropped their logo, when the San Jose Sharks years ago dropped their logo. Um, This one's going to sell and it's going to sell well. The thing that I love the most though was the attention to detail. As I said, the texturization in the S, the red eye in the S, there was so much attention to detail, but the one I love the most is the anchor logo, which I'm not sure if it's going to be the secondary logo or their shoulder patch or whatever, but man, I'm I'm telling you right now, like I, I want, I want a face mask with this anchor I want a shirt with this anchor I want something because the coolest part is the main part of the anchor they incorporated the Seattle Space Needle and it looks so sharp Uh, uh, again one of the best name drops and logo drops for an expansion team in all the major sports in quite a long time the NHL and Seattle really really knocked it out of the ballpark with this one All right, so the other night, I was actually watching some reruns of Lucha Underground. If you're unfamiliar with what that is, uh, it was a wrestling show that aired on the El Rey Network. It aired from October 2014 to November 2018, so it had four seasons. It actually would take breaks. It wasn't, it was a little different from what you would normally think of professional wrestling, where the WWE... AEW, uh, Impact, ROH, they kind of go all year round. Uh, Lucha Underground would go in seasons and basically what they would do is they'd have a point where they'd bring in their crew, they'd tape several episodes of the show, tape an entire season pretty much and then go on break and they'd be off for a while and then they'd bring everybody back and film another season. Anyway, I was watching old episodes of Lucha Underground the other night and I happened to be watching, I believe it was... uh, Ultima Lucha Dos was the episode that I was watching and Ultima Lucha would be um, similar to I guess comparable to uh, the WWE's Wrestlemania it was their it was their big 
kind of season end year end event uh, where kind of all their storylines and all their feuds throughout the season led to this big event called Ultima, Ultima Lucha and in watching Lucha Underground I began to think wow I really miss it like I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of sad that it's not even though it's never officially been ended yet or canceled so to speak I, I just kind of miss it. Again, it aired on the El Rey Network. Uh, Robert Rodriguez was an executive producer for it. Uh, Chris DeJoseph was one of the writers. Uh, that name may sound familiar. He's been a writer for WWE before. Uh, most recently, he was a writer for WWE SmackDown. Uh, Vampiro was one of the announcers. I believe he was also the lead booker. I could be wrong on that. They did have an affiliation of AAA, and I know that Vampiro was the booker in AAA, so I believe he may have also been the booker for Lucha Underground, but I'm, I'm not sure. But anyway, as I mentioned, uh, Lucha Underground was a show that aired on the El Rey Network from October 2014 to November 2018. It was wrestling meets telenovela. This was the blending of that, and it was amazing. They embraced all the things that other wrestling promotions kind of shy away from. The cinematography on this show was so awesome. The vignettes that they filmed to go along with the matches, it's great stuff. I mean, there was some high quality stuff that was being done at Lucha Underground that we now seem permeate into major promotions like WWE, Impact, uh, AEW. We're seeing a lot of that cinematography uh, that was essentially born in Lucha Underground now playing a major role in you know, WWE, AEW, Impact, especially during the pandemic. A lot of promotions have gone to that stylistic form of presenting wrestling. Um, so we have Lucha Underground to thank for that. Another thing that, as I was watching it, if you look at the landscape of wrestling right now, man, that Lucha Underground roster was loaded. I mean, if, if you just look at some of the names that were on it and you look at some of the major promotions right now, there's a Lucha Underground person there. I mean, if you look at the NWA, you have Thunder Rosa there. If you look at Ring of Honor, you have PJ Black there. Uh, for TNA, you have uh, Taya Valkyrie is there. Sammy Callahan is there. Willie Mack is the X Division champion. He's at TNA. Um, AEW has uh, a Pentagon, Brian Cage, Jake Hager, Sammy Guevara. Uh, in the WWE, you have John Morrison, Ricochet, Rey Mysterio, NXT, you have the Cruiserweight Champion, Phantasma, came from uh, Lucha Underground. Uh, he was King Cuerno there. Uh, you have Karrion Cross from NXT, was a part of um, Lucha Underground. Uh, Shane Strickland from NXT was a part of Lucha Underground. So just a lot of stars. Uh, Io Shirai, another one just popped in my head. Io Shirai, the NXT Women's Champion, was from Lucha Underground. So just a wealth of talent that was on that Lucha Underground roster from 2014 to 2018 has just kind of permeated into the professional wrestling landscape. And, and they are everywhere. I mean, you can't look at a show right now and not see a Lucha Underground person on it. I mean, let, let, let's look at the big three. Let's just take the big three alone. All right, in the WWE, okay? 
you've got Rey Mysterio feuding with Seth Rollins right now. You've got Ricochet. Guy just had previous Prince Puma in Lucha Underground a couple months ago. The guy was just wrestling Brock Lesnar. Doesn't get much bigger than that, right? Uh, AEW, Brian Cage. He's heading into a main event against John Moxley at Fighter Fest. Uh, Jake Hager has a huge role in the inner circle with Chris Jericho. Huge storyline for AEW. Jump over to Impact. You've got Willie Mack as an X Division champion. You've got Sammy Callahan with a with a major heel role. He's probably the top heel right now in Impact. So again, as I said, just you you look across the wrestling landscape. Somebody from Lucha Underground is doing something in this present day. Um, so I'm very thankful for Lucha Underground. There is a strong part of me that wishes it kind of has a renaissance, even though a lot of the roster, as I said, has been dismantled and is now with other promotions. I think it had great quality. I think it had great storylines. I think, again, it had great cinematography and presentation. Uh, The set that they shot on had this great grimy factory feel. Uh, There was a lot of Lucha heritage that was honored in the show. And it just there was a great presentation to the product. And and I'm thankful for it. And I'm thankful to see it, you know, kind of lead into current day promotions. Because like I said, a lot of what TNA Impact is doing is following in that Lucha Underground footprint. Uh, And we see it even seeping into not as, as heavily, but we do see WWE and AEW using some of the same cinematography tactics that Lucha Underground used. So again, as you do in the pandemic... I just happened to be going through the channels the other night, stopped on Ultima Lucha Dos, and uh, I enjoyed some Lucha Underground. So if you have a chance, go ahead and check it out. It airs on the El Rey Network. Um, It's pretty much on throughout the day. I've seen it on in the mid-afternoon, and I've also seen it on in the evening. So uh, again, just just, uh, go ahead and check it out on the El Rey Network. Watch a couple episodes of Lucha Underground. If you're a wrestling fan, I bet you'll enjoy it. All right, right now on Random Thoughts and Best Regards, I'd like to go ahead and have a kind of conversation about some things that are going on in the real world and how it's affecting people. And I would like to welcome into Random Thoughts and Best Regards for the very first time, my good friend Lewis. Lewis, my man. Good, man. Good, good. I, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know how to start these. It's, it's- uh, it's a, no, don't worry. That's that's what I'm here for. I'm I'm, I'm here to guide you through, my man. Um, so one thing I, I will tell the audience um, is, you and I together in the past. Uh, I owe all my Game of Thrones knowledge to you because <laughs> we spent a few nights in a high reach during this big, big game of thrones season where like they told people oh we're not going to be back for like a, a year and a half now i'm just freaking people out and you explained to me why people were so freaked out and that's when i gained all my game game of thrones knowledge i had zero game of thrones knowledge before oh, we were dude together. was that when we were stuck in the, in the rage for pumpkins was that it oh, that was that was oh, pumpkins. pumpkins yep yes gotta love that that was that was pumpkins <laughs> um you know lewis i 
you and I, we've talked, and I, and I told you I was going to get you on the show, and we, I bounced around a couple different ideas, and I thought, you know, I, I wanted to have you on because there were some fun things that obviously we could we could talk about, and I could always bring you on another time to do that. But you, like many people, are, are kind of facing a real world dilemma, and it also kind of affects the industry that you and I are both in. So I thought you'd be a great person. To speak to on this, um, first of all, let me go ahead and explain to the listeners that um, you recently worked at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival as their video technician and programmer for three seasons. Um, that entailed hanging, maintaining video systems in all three of their spaces and also programming shows using projection via watch out. Run us through real quick what, so from the in to the out. A production comes in, a, a, you know, a stage show comes in. Run me through Lewis's world at the Oregon. All Theater. right. Uh, oof, where to begin? So the Oregon Shakespeare Festival is um, very unique uh, when it comes to repertory theater because unlike a lot of traditional repertories, theaters in the country where one show starts, it ends, and then they prepare for the next one, um, at any given point, uh, there's always at least three shows always happening at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. So the season wow. in total can run, uh, usually had around 10 shows a season. And that season usually okay. starts around end of February, beginning March, and it runs all the way to the end of October. So uh, basically what happens is um, when we open our season, usually around March, we open with four shows at the same time. Uh, so what that means is uh, one of our spaces, the Bomer, uh, has three openings every single night, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then uh, we have our second theater, the Thomas Theater, which is our smaller black box, have their show open. Uh, so within opening weekend, we have four shows that open. And then those stay open throughout the whole year. Uh, but then within that time frame, we then have more shows that get added onto the repertory. So then what happens uh, once we reach peak season, once all the shows open around August or end of July, August, okay. uh, we always have a different show occurring as a matinee and an evening in all three of our spaces. Um, yeah, wow. so um, our biggest space is actually an outdoor theater, which is the Elizabethan. Um, it is actually, it only has shows in the evenings uh, because of the sheer fact that when it does open, it's near the summer. So um, okay. we try to keep it in the evening so it cools off. And Oregon is, is pretty is pretty chill when it comes to weather outside. Uh, it's not as humid. So mm. we actually get a lot of patrons that come during the summer to see the outdoor shows. So um, yeah, that being said, with all the shows that, are, that we run throughout the season, not all of them have projections. Mm. So uh, at most for my three seasons, I've had a season, the most that I've had a show to program wise was I think we had like four to five shows in one season that had projections and that's within all three spaces. Okay. Uh, so um, my main job was uh, I was one half of the video department. So it was just my supervisor and I. Okay. So my supervisor was responsible. Uh, his name was Micah Stiglitz. Um, his responsibility was all about creating the uh, system flow diagram and he had our inventory so he knew what equipment we were able to use per show base and um, gotcha. with our with our shows we actually hire designers from outside of uh, the company we hire like freelance designers and um, his responsibility is communicating with the designers to ensure that their vision 
is working for the stage and the production that we're going to be trying to work projections into so he handles all of the in-face stuff and communicating that bridge between production and the technical aspect whereas my job is actually implementing those ideas into the physical space so um i worked a lot with christy projectors like christy roasters um (laughs) yeah so and the thing yeah and the crazy (laughs) thing is is our equipment isn't really state-of-the-art like you know we really most of our equipment comes from like early mid 2000s and we've literally just been keeping up with it and cleaning up um you know because if we keep updating all our equipment every year it just gets expensive so we try to keep with sure you know we have some christy roadsters that we use in our outdoor space and then our indoor theater the bomer which is like the bigger one of the two indoors and our big my job is to basically get the system flow diagram from my supervisor and then build it essentially in the spaces um the cool thing about repertory is you know every set is always different so micah so it's a challenge exactly uh so he actually built a very well laid out repertory projection system so that um we are actually able to map accordingly to every show that is being used uh for each system nice so um Mm -hmm. yeah my job in the first half is making sure all the system is set up working we run through some tests and then when we go into the tech phase which usually ranges from a two-week period to a month and a half depending on what time of the year we do shows uh our, our outdoor okay. shows usually take a month month and a half to prepare uh because there are three shows that are sharing the space during tech so we have to do like mm. a rotation system um so for gotcha. each show to have time uh, so depending on the production uh i usually am responsible with the pro programming aspect of the show so i basically work with the designer and i run i basically create a cue list through watch out that is uh midi triggered through the light the eos lightboard system that the light department use because um all of our projection shows are run through the lightboard uh, i am not responsible mm-hmm. for running the shows um my okay. whole job is ensuring that the system works um, the programming is clean and organized because a lot of the times some of our productions get transferred to other theaters around the country. So that means a lot of the show's programming gets shipped with that as well. And sometimes I, you know, I might not be available to program that show in a different space. So I have to make sure that paperwork is up to date. I have to keep, mm. uh, all of the queue stacking organized so that if the designer gets a programmer that has ever worked in the space or the show before they're able to understand kind of the the way everything has been organized and then once the show's open basically um, my job is consisting of maintenance work making sure all the equipment is working you know if I, a lamp dies i go in and change it change Change those lamps lamps, you know hope we don't do them as much you know we we have we have some nice lamps (laughs) but um you know stuff happens you never know what happens like we random have we have like lamps sometimes that hit 200 hours and then just blow out and i'm like those are meant for 10,000. but um but yeah (laughs) all it needs is for someone to shake the cage and then it's gone but uh but yeah i'm just maintaining the equipment times if something happens uh through in the middle of the show and i'm on the clock i go into the production and help out the lighting to technician kind of troubleshoot the system so that they can 
you know, run the likes mm -hmm. cues and also not worry about the problems. So, sure. Yeah, sure. yeah. Now you mentioned that the season usually starts in March, and March is kind of when all the craziness started happening. Were you guys up and running prior to the shutdown, oh. or did it did you not even get up, or what? What kind of what what state were you guys in when everything shut down? Todd, dude, it was a crazy. Honestly, it's surreal that it happened in March. It feels like it happened a year ago already. But, it really does. But, <laughs> yes. Um, it's, so because we open in March, we usually have a month, month and a half prior to load in, run tech and everything and such. So I, my contract kind of started in mid-January. Um, so mm -hmm. I started the season off. We loaded our systems in. Um, we had two spaces that were ready to open, right? We had one show in the Thomas, which is the black box. And then our main theater had three shows that were opening. And um, I set it up. We go through tech, uh, which tech was like a good three, four weeks. And mm -hmm. we had a week of previews. And then we opened. And not even after three performances, we got shut down. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy because it was... There were so many things about it that we were really, I was, I was personally really sad about because for starters, like it was a really good season. There was a lot of good productions okay. that were very impactful and there were, we were, we were, mm. we were putting a message on our stage, um, about diversity and this That's idea awesome. that, you know, theater isn't meant for a specific group of individuals. It's meant for everyone. Okay. And, you know, we had a new artistic director that just started this year, too. And she had this, you know, she's a very empowering woman. And she has this clear vision that she wanted to help us go into the next step of theater and kind of introduce a new generation of theater goers into the space. But, yeah, it was super unfortunate that literally three, kind of three, four days after we've opened, we kind of had to shut down our whole season. Wow. And and roughly, I mean, how many how many people does that impact? Oh man, so it was so we found out, you know, um, after we opened uh, mm. that we were gonna we were gonna cancel our season until September because Oregon's rules, because of the lockdown, uh, Oregon wasn't gonna allow Phase Three to happen until September. Um, okay. So we were told that. Um, the season wasn't going to pick up until September. So that meant we lost basically almost 75% of the production team and the production team alone that works, not just like backstage, but also in wardrobes, in the shops. Sure, and such, sure. We lost like almost, almost like 300. Um, and I don't know the exact numbers, but to me, it yeah. feels like it was like a good 300 just, just the ball part. that got really That's affected. what I was asking. Cause because there's just so much more that goes into it sometimes that people don't see, you know, when they think of theater or when they yeah. think of entertainment or production. There's so much behind the scenes, like you said, costuming, you know, makeup. There's, there's just so much that goes into it. I was just curious, like ballpark, you know, uh, a, a theater shutting down like that has to community greatly. It, it, yes. And speaking of community, it's crazy. So uh, the theater company is in a, town, a small little town called Ashland, Oregon. And it's actually like 30 minutes north of the California border. And this okay. town literally is, it's a tourist town, uh, essentially. And the reason why it's a tourist town is because it thrives off of the Shakespeare Festival. Um, wow. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think that a small little town like Ashland has the biggest theater company in the country. Um, and when um, 
when the season got canceled, it really affected the, the city because um, they, they kind of have foreshadowed this for a while now because uh, for the last couple of summers, they were having really bad fire seasons, uh, fire smoke seasons over there. Okay. Uh, to the point where these fire smokes, uh, these fires, the brush fires that were occurring, they had to cancel some of the outdoor shows. And those outdoor shows are literally what pushed these audience members to come see because it's 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 a whole different world when you are in that space because it's it was built in like the early 20th century and you can tell you're walking into like a piece of history so um when when fire season happened people just couldn't go outside because of the sheer amount of smoke so the town was heavily affected with that and the town realized that because tourists weren't coming to see the Shakespeare Festival, they were losing a lot of revenues. Uh, there was actually a lot of mom and pop restaurants that actually ended up closing um, because of that. And now with COVID occurring, um, it's really hitting them hard. And they're actually, I don't work much with the city, but from what I last heard before I left, they're really trying to find a way to change that image of the city so that they can get more people to come to the city for other Tourist yeah, events, not just a one, you know? not not just a one trick exactly. pony. Yeah, try to diversification of the economy. Exactly. Um, you know, Lewis. One thing, way back when, um, you were you were a young Lewis, <laughs> and you came to me, and and, and we were working in, uh, you know, I was your your lead in lighting. Um, I always told you, be multifaceted. It'll take you a long way in life. It'll take you a long way in your career. You know, try try to learn and pick up as many things as you can. Because you never know when you're going to have to put, you're going to have to be quick on your feet and adapt or change. You know, always be fluid, always be fluid, yeah. be multifaceted. I always, you know, I always preach that to you. Um, and that's another reason why I wanted you here today, because you have obviously now theater shut down. Like many Americans, like many people in the entertainment industry, you find yourself out of work searching for ways to get an income going. You've transitioned. Uh, kind of on your feet, but this is kind of what I wanted to talk to you about today is, is the transition of that. Recently, um, for the uh, theater, you did the theater, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm read this <laughs> the way I have it, the Theater Bay Area's virtual gala as their live stream technical director. Now, we see, because of COVID and because of the pandemic, everything is going to the internet. Walk us through uh, Abby, you know, explain to us, go ahead and explain to us what the, the Bay Area's virtual gala was and then explain to us your role as the um, live stream technical director and then I'll, off of that I'm going to ask you some more questions. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, um, so where to begin with this? So, um, Theater Bay Area is actually a, it's not a theater, uh, it's an organization that is run in the Bay Area where... Um, their responsibility is they're basically the um how can i explain this like the pot of soup where everything theater comes to them and what i mean by them okay. is like they gather all these resources so that they then can give to artists in the bay area so gotcha. they are responsible with holding auditions to help artists get jobs um they're also responsible with holding like uh events to bring artists together and stuff and the big thing that they've been recently doing is they've been um they've been building this grant this this relief fund that they've been establishing for covid that uh they've been raising money for so that they can then give to artists in the bay area that need funds 
that aren't getting jobs because of all this, you know? Mm-hmm. So their big thing is always helping out the artists in the Bay Area. Um, it's funny, I've never worked with them before this event. It wasn't until okay. I got contacted with a good friend of mine, uh, Shannon R. Davis, who I worked with at OSF my first year, and uh, she's the development coordinator or the head of development there and okay. she um you know i've been i was i was bored during these quarantine and <laughs> uh i was like you know what i need to do a side project to keep myself busy so i ended up doing these video loops on instagram of just like random outdoor naturey scenes uh that are just like five ten second loops uh mm-hmm. of nature and she saw one and she was like oh right you do video design and then she told me about this project that she was working on uh you know they have a they have a gala every year where they raise that's where they raise their money every year to help with these grants and unfortunately because of covid they had to cancel it but instead of postponing it canceling it entirely they wanted to move to this virtual thing uh so i got contacted uh and she asked me about my background experience with video and live streaming and um uh, it's crazy you know i would have never it's i i never touched live stream in a long time <laughs> literally t- the last time i live streamed in my entire life was when i was in middle school or high school i don't remember when and i was live streaming me playing halo uh on youtube <laughs> or something and it was just like i i thought i was trying to be cool and i learned a lot from it and realized it's not what i wanted to do so I tried it for a couple of weeks and I was like, no, I'm good. But those experiences I gained from live streaming for fun. This part, um, she was looking for a technical director that handled all the virtual things, all the technical elements. And there wasn't really anyone that can say they're an expert in this because this is all still very brand new. So, you know, Twitch yes, is a very common very much thing, so. mm-hmm. but Twitch in a theatrical element is very different. You know, like... yes with live streaming it's it's different you know i, I don't know it's mm-hmm. yeah it's hard to explain but um so yeah she yeah it's a, me and it, uh, it's it's hard. the thing about live streaming is like it's it the audience doesn't get the connection that that one-on-one connection that you usually do when you're in like a theater or a live entertainment scene you know yes. so so yeah, she contacted me and I was super interested uh, because I really wanted a new project. And the project, and, and what Shannon was talking about with this this gala, um, she really wanted it to be big and wanted it to be unique uh, because there have been virtual productions that have been done prior to this one that um, had their own thing. And it was a, okay. it, it was a very... It felt, and this is just my own personal opinion, it felt very cookie, like, cookie, like, copy and pasted. You know, they all Mm -hmm. kind of had this similar format. So she really wanted to do something different because she's a director and she comes from, like, she loves theatrical background. So I was like, yeah. So I did my research and I ended up using this program called Mimo Live. Uh, And I believe it's a Dutch program. And Mimo Live is a, it's essentially like a news networking switcher board program where it's all layer based and you just basically lay out your files however you want and uh, you upload the videos and then you can overlay certain texts and content over it. And with this program, I really pitched this idea to Shannon that I really wanted this live stream to feel like a telethon. Like I wanted it to feel 
real live in the moment and i wanted the audience to feel very interactive with the experience and in that moment i think that's when shannon clicked and i think that's what gave me the job opportunity uh was because of that so uh that was almost a month before the event um and then we started coming up brainstorming ideas um and then i came up with this pitch about maybe making it like a news channel where it's live we show them updates about everything that's going on we also had uh we were doing uh like silent auctions on this website that we were using okay. mm-hmm. uh to 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 get more money uh to raise more money for this um this relief fund and also this this program was really really important to them because um a lot of the money that they were raising before this gala was to go directly to the artists in the bay area so um they weren't really making any financial gains for the company itself so they were really worried that if they didn't come up with any sort of money they were going to probably downsize um in their company and their company okay. is like already just nine people so um <laughs> it's, it's yeah it's, it gets tight it does so um this was a big event for them and knowing that i was like you know i I'm not excuse excuse my French I'm not going to half ass it you know I'm really yeah. this is like these are people's lives on the line and mm-hmm. at the end of the day I don't want them to stress about creating an event that they might not make any funds out of mm-hmm. so I wanted to make this fun interactive and I wanted everyone in the team to have fun and at the end of the day it was but um yeah there were some really cool ideas we had um so because we were in the bay um Shannon uh the in the board of directors there was this um there was this member in the board that was really close friends with a lot of famous bay area artists so okay. we actually were able to bring some big names into our live stream um nice yeah and that really helped you know we got to be digs mm-hmm. from hamilton to be okay. in our live stream um yeah did you did you have to do did did they basically have to set up like were they in their home or someplace and they had to set up a feed to you or how did yeah. you so, how did you how did you work that all out Oh man dude I cuz that's not a tough part you for know a couple of nights trying to figure I, out how to make that work Yeah uh yeah so what we ended up doing was I originally wanted to do this 20 wanted to make this live 100% mm-hmm. um so we got this amazing host uh David Morales he's a he's a bay area artist and he's quick on his feet and that's someone that's something you need you for need an that. MC absolutely so absolutely. he was on board and when we got him i was like oh we can totally do this live because he is able to be quick on his feet he knows how to react and respond to the audience and people that are live streaming and commenting to the event so yeah. once we got him um the next step was how are we going to make this live for the special guests that we were going to mm-hmm. bring into the show. Um, you know, we had two awards that we were going to give out. Uh one of them ended up going to Peggy Haas, who was this uh Bear Area uh donor. She's like the heiress to Levi Strauss. Uh mm. so like she was this, she's a phenomenal woman that is that works really close to the theater in the and not just theater arts in general in the Bay Area. And then we were going to give another award to um to speaker Nancy Pelosi. Okay. And uh when we got those names I was like, "Oh man, this has to <laughs> this has to be locked cuz we no, clean." No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> so what we ended up doing was um rather than making it 100% live, we actually decided to break it up. So, uh Mimo Live has this awesome video chat feature where you can actually there's a internet browser live stream uh where I gave David Morales our host a link to it 
so that um, it's essentially like Zoom, where he like video conferences to this app, and then I was able to actually connect it to the live stream. So uh, okay. David Morales was live, but a lot of our other productions were pre-recorded. So okay. the opening number with David Morales and David Diggs was actually pre-recorded. I did it through Zoom, but mm-hmm. then I edited it to feel live uh, because I just nice. used the same background template for the entire show. Mm-hmm. So whenever David was live, um, the background was the same template from all the pre-recorded skits. So it just felt fluid. Continuity, my man. Exactly. It was all about continuity. My pet peeve is I hate when videos go to black, especially yes. during a live stream. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my thing was I had to have an image in the background. Yeah. Uh, so that really helped with the sensation that it was live. I was really glad that I was able to, uh, we were able to do all of our pre-recording stuff through Zoom. So what I basically did is I had two computers, one computer that was to communicate with the artist, and then another computer to just screen capture the whole thing. Mm. And then in post, I just separated the two videos. And because it was through Zoom, it gave that authenticity that it felt like it was a webcam to give it that yeah. live feature. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was super fun. Um, it, I learned a lot from it. You can, and, yeah. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about it. Because again, I knew it was new territory for you. Knowing, knowing you the way I know you and your background, I knew that live streaming was going to be new territory for you. And I wanted to see how it was for you. Um, because, you know, I've, I've, done live streaming I've, I've you know years ago i did it on, on my show area 52 and then for the last few years now i've done the city beautiful invitational all through live stream and right i i have always always maybe to the headache of of some maybe maybe to the headache of some of my technical directors <laughs> um, but i i would always come and in, come into the room every year and they knew we were approaching this if if, if i'm on board and i'm steering the ship we're approaching it as a television production so yep. you know what i mean we you, we are we're gonna have you know we're we're gonna have ins and outs we're gonna have bumpers ins and outs you know just like they do for for sports we're we're gonna have graphics we're gonna have you know we're gonna have live commercials if if pf changs is my sponsor we're gonna play the same pf chang commercial on the live stream that plays on tv like it's, it's just i i've always approached it um, cause you can do a lot with live streaming. Yeah. You can, and that's the thing though. You can, you can do a lot or you could do a little, that is the nice thing about live streaming. You could do very basic and that's just fine. Or you could get really deep into it. And I think if you continue to do this, I think you're going to see and, and learn that it sounds like you already have a little bit. Um, you know, I'm sure if you do something like this again, knowing you, you're probably going to try to dig a little deeper and take it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it was crazy. Like uh, the event itself was only two hours, mm-hmm. and we had our own set of technical difficulties. <laughs> so the crazy did that so, two hours feel like a month when you were done? Oh, dude, it was so stressful. <laughs> right? It was. I was like, those two hours, I cannot mess up. Yeah. The only times I messed up was when I had a random power surge in the house twice, caused <laughs> the internet to go out. Because the crazy thing was, I was still in Oregon doing okay. this live stream while they were in the Bay. They okay, in San so Francisco. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something honestly I didn't think about. And I was just talking about, you know, all the times I've done a live stream, I've been right there in the action with the event unfolding in front of me. Yeah, man. How the hell was that being in your, you know, being in your home in Oregon and you've got this event going on in the Bay Area that you're the technical director? It was, 
It was so crazy. So I was, so this is the setup. So we had a team of basically nine people, right? Okay. We had two people responsible for, cause we live streamed it to Twitch and we live streamed it to Facebook. So okay. we had two individuals responsible with the Facebook live commentator and moderating just in case if anything was going on, they were responsible with that. We had one person responsible with the Twitch live stream so that they were responsible with moderating that. We had two individuals responsible with the bidding system that we had to make sure that all the bids were going in, the system wasn't having issues. Um, what else? We had David <laughs> Morales, who was our host, and he was mm-hmm. based in San Jose. And then we had our production manager, Beth Hall, who was located in, and I may be completely wrong here, I feel like she was in Texas. And I may wow. be wrong. But she was in, yeah, she was there. And then Shannon, our actual director, was in the Bay. And then all the other teammates were also scattered around the Bay in their own respective homes. So, dude, when leading up to it, we were talking like, oh yeah, we'll find a way. We'll find a way to communicate together. We'll find a way to make this all work, you know? And literally the day before, we all sat around and we're like, oh dang, this this needs to happen. We really need to find a way to make this work. So I and the rest of the team, uh, and it was actually more Beth and Shannon, they uh, are good friends with people that have done previous live streams in theater, and they always recommended Discord. Okay. And for those people that don't know what Discord is, it's it's basically like a um, it's a it's a program that offers uh, like servers that you're able to create mm-hmm. group chats and voice chats, um, and it's all within a server. Like you're able to create your own server for your select group of people. So what I did was I created a server dedicated to just this event, and I had the entire team on this server, and then I created individual voice groups and text groups so people were able to text like uh, message each other or talk to each other and they were divided per job so the people that were associated with facebook were in the facebook group only and then smart and twitch accordingly and then we had a a voice chat dedicated just to the production staff Uh, so it was just the production manager myself the director and our host david morales and um we did our first dry tech the day before and we realized when beth uh was trying to call cues for me and watching the live stream she was delayed by a couple of the seconds delay. from what i was actually watching so yes. we learned during our first the tech, delay and it was actually our only tech before the day before uh the delay was a hot mess it was not fun for yep. us because i could see the cue the calls happening and I would take them and Beth would be like, okay, go, like a couple of seconds later. So what we ultimately ended up doing was David Morales kept his voice chat on the entire time on Discord so that okay. Beth, our producer, could hear it in time. And then um, he would put his – he would mute his speaker so that you wouldn't hear Beth calling calls for me while he was on the air. And then yeah. when he was off the air, he would unmute himself. He would unmute the speaker so he could hear all of us. And that was my time to like to be, be like, all right, we're one minute till live, 30 seconds, 10 till, and things like that. So yeah, dude, it was it's crazy when you do a live stream with actual in, in the space versus when you're all scattered everywhere. Yeah, it's the delay. I think don't feel bad. I, I, the delay I think trips everybody up. I know 
um, for the the basketball tournament, we always use Sling Studio uh, uh-huh. for our live streams. And the first year, um, we realized the delay, and then we're like, okay, well, that kind of takes out us doing live shots of the commentators talking because we didn't. Uh, afterwards, we were able to correct it by just sync jamming the audio for right, the, right. the following year. But we were already too far, and we're like, okay, well. So if we just do a live shot of the court and just focus, you know, don't cut. Because we would do during like halftime or whatever we, the first couple ones, we did cutaways back to the announce team. Mm-hmm. And then we realized, oh, you know, it's it, the audio is not lining up. And so that was fun. But yeah, um, the, <laughs> the, the the delay on a live stream, I think, gets everybody. I think ours was a good five to probably ten seconds. So um, I know they all vary. But yeah, that, that's, that's a fun little that's a fun little thing to get through, especially if you're trying to do something like, you know, call cues. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was rough. Uh, but honestly for a team of nine individuals, uh, to maintain a two hour event like that, um, it was, I didn't realize how big of an event it actually was going to be. Like I, the moment you're like, do you think that helped you though? Do you think, do you think because you you just went into it and just kind of do you do you think if you would have known how big the event was or you would have put more pressure on yourself or do you think it would have been the same or do you think that it um, helped not knowing? I don't know. You know, we've worked together, Todd. You know mm-hmm. me. Like when I'm given a task, I don't really stress about it. I'm more about yeah. as long as I get the job done in a professional way. That's all that matters. Yeah. And no, yeah. knowing you, knowing you, knowing you personally, I think that this situation probably helped you but i was just curious how you felt um, of course i think either no, way I, you, I, totally... I think either way you would have done a great job but i think knowing how you are because you you kind of have that calm approach to everything i think it, it probably helped you it, um yeah i will be honest there were definitely times where i was very stressed out like honestly shout out to my girlfriend if it wasn't for her i would have probably not eaten at all the, di- the day before the day of the event because i was just yeah. so locked in mm-hmm. she was the one that would like like every so every couple hours be like did you drink your water did you yeah eat? and i'm like oh no i didn't thank you so much yep. so like yeah i will be real the last <clears throat> those the, the last two days like the day leading up and the day of was very stressful because it's crazy you know i was basically the only one responsible for everything that the audience was watching yeah so if something went wrong on my end it would be a domino effect and everyone in the team would then start having their own set of issues but luckily we did a dry tech and then a tech um to prepare ourselves and um i talked to a gentleman that actually has been trying to start up a like theater twitch stream okay for artists to perform on twitch and he provides the equipment and the live stream uh portion of it uh, his name is Tassi, and when I spoke to him, he gave me a lot of good advice about live streaming to Twitch because that was ultimately the the streaming platform we wanted to use because they're the ones that um, had the less they didn't have as strict copyright yeah uh, rules yeah that gets as tricky Facebook yep. Facebook literally ten minutes into the Facebook live stream it like partially muted our stream yep. because of music we've had that yep, had that happen too yep yeah and Twitch was super super chill and flexible um and the problem we were facing and we were didn't face it but we were worried about was our audience not understanding the twitch platform mm. so we actually um 
talking to Tasi, he gave me some really good advice. And the big thing was you have to have a moderator on the Twitch stream. Okay. Um, so that there's someone always there looking at the comments. If anyone has any questions, they're there to respond. And then during the pre-show, what I did was uh, I used the gentleman that was running the Twitch moderator. He gave me a quick guideline of individuals that are new to Twitch. Like, here's what you should do to have the best streaming service and the best quality and stuff. And during the pre-show, we had a 30-minute pre-show, I basically created this like loop of facts and cool things there was music playing to prepare the audience there was a section dedicated every so often to let the audience know here's some tips for twitch just in case smart you're new to this smart um so that was super convenient to have um and also when we did crash twice it was crazy it happened during pre-show <laughs> and then it happened literally when the credits started they yeah. crashed it was the only two times it crashed and when they did crash, luckily we had those moderators on Facebook and Twitch because they were able to comment right away, being like, having technical issues, we'll be right back. And then nobody left. Like, that was the best part is near the end when the credits started rolling, we had, at, I think, around like 150 people still watching the live stream. Mm -hmm. And then I was off the air for almost four minutes because I was trying to reboot the system. And then when we went back on the air, we lost like one or two people because of the sheer fact that, that we were interacting with the audience through the commenting section. So obviously, if the industry continues to stay the way it is and you know we, we don't really have a true remedy of this till there is a vaccine, what do you think the possibility is? Do you, How big of a challenge do you think it would be to... Um, get your traditional theater people, your, your traditional uh, patrons, your theater patrons, to kind of possibly embrace, I mean, I realize multiple generations now are embracing streaming services and things of that nature, but mm -hmm. when you take your traditional theater patrons, should productions for the next few months, maybe, you know, and I'm talking about maybe even like six months to the next year, um, should they decide okay you know we're, we're gonna start live streaming certain performances um do you think that there is a what do you think is a good possibility or perhaps a good technique to try to get your classical theater patrons to kind of embrace live streaming and that type of media dude i i, I said this um uh, i have a friend that was doing like a uh, a COVID project about people living in their house and she asked me the same question a couple months ago and my thing is so as a projectionist and a projector designer uh, it's crazy how much of a backlash projections get <laughs> in productions <laughs> like it's people are always like oh that projection takes away from the production that's yeah on yeah our, our world much our worlds are a little different when it comes to that in my world that's kind of all they all they want yeah, but yeah exactly. for, for you i could see yeah i mean i could see how there would be you know like, yeah coming it's, from the theater world i could see why there'd be backlash to projection yeah like like for example when when we did oh i did um Academy of Villains the first year after Bill and Ted mm -hmm. and I remember seeing those projections and people were going like crazy for it yep. they were like oh man that's so cool like the glow in the dark projections and stuff mm -hmm. like 
they were they were getting some positive feedback and then like there's there's shows that i've been on that i was production designing or i was assisting in and people are just like was that really necessary like it's it, it was a little too distracting or yeah that's cool but like which is you didn't yeah, really need it which is why i wonder how you know and i, I guess that's probably yeah. where you're going but yeah like i i wonder how that's why i asked the question i wonder because you are a, you know i consider you a theater guy and, and you're well versed in it but yeah i mean i i kind of know how that classical theater group is and i just wonder if they truly would embrace kind of the you know a, a, an alternate style of of media or presentation yeah you know just presentation like i yeah, no, I totally understand. I think at the end of the day, there's always gonna there's always gonna be a backlash when there's a new form, a new element that is introduced into something that people get very comfortable in. Mm. This example being theater, right? Theater is a live experience. You know, when you go into a space and you sit down, you are opening your soul, you're opening yourself for the theater, the production to basically you embrace everything that you see on that stage, mm. and there's a clear division when there is a screen between you and that production. True. So my thing is we just have to embrace the fact that because of this introduction now of being digital, it is going to happen and there's nothing stopping it. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's always change that happens in the industry, whether it's entertainment or theater. And those changes usually get backlashes at first. And then at the end, they become very popular. So if theater has to go digital for a bit, it goes digital. Mm -hmm. And you just have to either really enjoy it and embrace it or just hope one day that they come back to live theater. But that being said, sorry, that being said, if you want live theater to happen, you have to support theater in the arts, period. So if you don't support the digital aspect of what is being provided in theater, then you're not going to get that live theater that you want at the end. Bingo. You took exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> if they don't embrace it in the intro, because live theater will come back and, and live yeah. live events and li- you know all that is going to come back. It's, it's just going to take time right now. But in the interim, if you don't embrace the alternate presentation it could be very detrimental to to the future and it could even delay or you know potentially have more uh, effects on on it actually returning to a, to live theater yeah and then and then also the great thing about this now this movement quote unquote of digital of digital productions and stuff now is the industry is now opening up their doors to a whole new sector of audience yes. viewers that have never been to a production before. Yep. You know, and 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 mainly because you know they can't afford it, or there isn't theater around them, or or etc. So this honestly is the best movement that could have happened for the arts. Mm-hmm. I know it's been going on for some time now. But now we're in this world where it has to happen and people are kind of not forced to, but this is really their only option now to see art that it me. And like, this is just a personal backstory about myself. You know, I honestly had no clue what theater was until I started middle school Mm -hmm. until I was in seventh grade. 
And I found it out of no by luck because I took a film editing class and I really enjoyed film editing. I wanted to be a film editor, and my professor, my teacher, was the technical director for a theater production at the middle school, and I was good friends with him. And he told me I should be a part of his team, and I was like, sure. And I did it mainly because I was friends with him, and he was like a mentor to me. And then I joined the tech crew, and that really opened my doors to what theater was. And if it wasn't for that moment, honestly, I wouldn't have. Had a sheer idea of what theater is, so it's honestly having these digital productions now is really gonna open those doors for those next generation of artists that may have not had that opportunity to encounter a production that has impact that will impact them to now be like, oh, the arts is important. This is definitely this is what I want to do. How can I do more of it? All right, man. I'm gonna let you get out of here. I appreciate you coming on, and we'll talk to you again real soon. All right, buddy. Awesome. Thank All you right, so much. All right, stay for safe, me. stay healthy, man. You too. All right, take care. Catch you later. Bye. Segway has announced that they will stop production on the Segway PT. Those of you may be familiar with it, it is the Segway two wheeler. That became popular about 20 years ago now. Um, they will stop production at the end of this month on those. Uh, the Segway company was brought in 2015 by Ninebot, and they will now focus more on their scooters. Uh, they are the biggest um, provider of scooters for Bird and Lime, which you see a lot around major cities now, the rental scooter program that. Uh, has infiltrated most major cities right now as a mode of transportation. Uh, the reason why I bring this up is uh, when I think of Segway, I think of two things. Number one, if you know me and you know me well, uh, kind of at the advent of the Segway craze, I worked for a large company who heavily invested in the Segways because that was going to be their mode of operation to get around uh, their large property um, so I, I always think of that when I think of segways I think about that company that I worked for and how that was going to be their mode of transportation uh, for managers and coordinators alike to get around property the other thing I always think of is actually where I'm going with this segment I always think of the movie Mall Cop with Paul Blart and I know it's a cheesy movie. It's a terrible movie. It gets panned by people. But I'm going to be totally honest with you, man. I love that movie. It is like my guilty pleasure movie. I don't know what it is about it. I don't know if it's because I grew up in New Jersey and just the, the malls just speak to me. Or, uh, you know, there's the, uh, the American Joe's scene. You know, my, my friends and I would always spend a lot of time in American Joe's at the Garden State Plaza in New Jersey. So there's just a lot of things where the movie kind of spoke to me. And I just thought it was a funny movie. As cheesy and as corny as it is. Yeah, the whole love story that it kind of is in the movie is kind of cheesy. But it, it, the, I love the movie. And I will watch it just about every time that it's on. It is legitimately one of my guilty pleasure comedies. 
and I try to find the reason why and I guess maybe it stems back from you know for those of you who aren't familiar with the movie I'm talking about Paul Blart Mall Cop um, hit theaters in 2009 Uh, it's a real what I would consider a short movie it's got a 91 minute runtime, so it's a real you can breeze through it I mean it's a comedy so you can you can breeze through it relatively quickly to me it's a quick watch um, but I think maybe one of the reasons why the movie resonates with me is because in 2008, my girlfriend and I got to go to a preview of the movie uh, before it had even hit theaters. Columbia Pictures had invited us to go. Uh, it was an invitation-only event, and they invited us to go, and we were able to preview the movie. And then we were allowed to give feedback after the movie was over. So... To me, uh, that was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. So it was a really cool experience. Somebody from Columbia Pictures got up and spoke about uh, the movie. And then I also believe they had the director of the movie there. He got up and spoke for, uh, you know, real quick. Um, And then they introduced the movie and we watched it. And it was really cool because we kind of watched the unfinished version of the movie. So uh, there were some things like color correction that still needed to be done on it. Uh, There were some... um, maybe like some rotoscoping and green screening that still needed to be done on the movie. So this definitely was not the the finished product of Paul Blart Mall Cop. And I think that was one of the things that always kind of interest me when the movie came out was to go and see what the differences were from, from when I saw it in the you know preview stage to what the finished product was. Uh, and, and it was very cool. And I think for whatever reason, maybe that experience just kind of always stuck with me where the movie has a special place for me you know uh, the movie Step Brothers is kind of like that too but uh, you know it says something about this movie that just I love it and I know it's it gets terrible terrible ratings it's I think it's got like you know five out of ten stars and I think it's got like a 33% Rotten Tomato rating like it's just it it is unanimously panned as a movie and I really loved it Uh, for those who aren't familiar it stars Kevin James King of Queens Uh, again like I said it came out in 2009 and it is a single suburban father who works at the mall as a security guard and there's just I mean there's so much comedy in it I mean I I always think of you know peanut blart and jelly Um, there's a scene where Paul needs a cell phone Paul doesn't have a cell phone and he goes to another kiosk owner in the mall and he's telling them how in order to you know, kind of uh, talk to this girl that he wants to date. He needs to get a cell phone so he can get a cell phone so he can give her the number. And uh, the the other guy gives him his daughter's phone because he's punished her because he doesn't like the boyfriend. And then throughout the movie, there's a recurring theme where the boyfriend keeps calling the phone, and Paul winds up befriending him. And then later, they, he helps him through some scenarios. Uh, basically, what happens is on Black Friday the mall is robbed and it turns out that the kingpin of this group that's going to rob the mall happens to be Paul's former uh, security guard that he was training so it's just there's a, a lot of a lot of hilarity in the movie I mean Paul the character has low blood sugar so uh, you know there's there's issues where his sugar goes low and he faints there's this really cool move like I said with the segue there's this really funny thing where they they fall through the the top of the mall and then they fall into this uh, pit of balls and uh, Paul is still on his Segway so he rises up out of the balls on the Segway just really funny stuff there's another one where he runs into the back of a Jeep that's parked in the mall with his Segway like I said it's a cheesy movie it's a corny movie I get it 
but I just I love it and I will watch it every time and uh, just this past fourth um, I had my son and, and we were getting ready to you know start the festivities we were going to go in the pool have a water cannon fight we we're going to have our barbecue everything else but in order to kill some time while I was getting ready uh, I just put mall cop on and it was the first time my son had ever seen it and I truthfully didn't think he was going to sit and watch it um, and I'm doing stuff and I'm in the other room and I just, I hear him laughing and laughing and I, I go in there, I go in the room and he's like, daddy, this movie's funny. What is it? And so, you know, I, I tell him what it is and he was like, it's funny. He's like, he slid. He was talking about the part where Paul slides and he tries to get the behind the directory sign and he misses it. So then he's got to like squeak over. Uh, it was just really cute. I, I, you know, what can I say? I guess he is my son. He likes just like me. He likes Paul Blart Mall Cop, um, but that's it. I guess I guess this is nothing more than a confession. Uh, you know, I'm giving you a little information about segways going out of business, but uh, uh, you know, other than that, this segment is just a confession of me saying I love the movie Paul Blart Mall Cop. Judge me as you will. I'm just here to provide you the human side of me, and that is it. I wanted to go ahead and follow up and give an update on a story we did back on episode 5 of Random Thoughts and Best Regards about Batwoman on The CW. If you remember, Ruby Rose was the lead actress on the television series and abruptly left after the first season. At the time, we did not know why. Now, Rose, since that episode has aired, has recently been citing the difficult schedule as her reason for leaving. Well, the folks over at Warner Brothers, The CW, and producer Greg Berlanti have got their woman. Their Batwoman. Farewell, Katie Kane. Hello, Ryan Wilder. This is a historic and pivotal moment for the TV series, considering the social climate in our country. Ryan Wilder will be played by Javicia Leslie. Leslie is the first black actress to portray Batwoman in a live action television or film production. So big things happening there, exciting things happening there. Uh, Again, if you remember the show uh, last year, rolled out Ruby Rose as the uh, as an openly gay lead actress so here we go Batwoman stepping up again the producers um, of the show Greg Berlanti and company and the folks over at CW and Warner Brothers continue that tradition with this show of pushing the envelope and breaking new ground so congratulations to them especially uh, as I mentioned with the social climate in this country right now. I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of the folks over there. Uh, you may know Leslie from the CBS comedy God Friended Me, which I believe aired for two seasons on CBS. Maybe three, but I, I think it aired for two seasons. WB television execs describe Wilder's character as likable, messy, a little goofy, and untamed. So basically, a lot like T.O. Double D. Javicia Leslie stated, I am extremely proud to be the first black actress to play the iconic role of Batwoman 
on TV, and as a bisexual woman, I am honored to join this groundbreaking show, which has been such a trailblazer for the LGBTQ community. So there you have it. I look forward to seeing Leslie Under the Cow when the show returns in January 2021. That's going to do it for another episode of Random Thoughts and Best Regards. I thank everybody for joining us this week. A couple of housekeeping notes before we get out of here. Uh, number one, I'm going to need somebody to... Major League Baseball. Man. I'm going to need somebody to explain to me why the Philadelphia Phillies are not going to have to quarantine for 14 days. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware of this story, the Miami Marlins had uh, 17... I think it was 15 players, two coaches. So a total of 17 personnel members, players, um, test positive for the coronavirus. They played a series with the Philly last weekend. Games were canceled this week, uh, respectively, for Marlins and Phillies. Uh, The Phillies were supposed to play the Yankees. Those games were canceled. Now Major League Baseball is saying that there have been no positive tests. Uh, The Phillies were tested on Monday, Tuesday, and I believe Wednesday, and there's been no positive tests. So they can resume baseball on Friday. I, am I missing something? So they're saying that they can they can return to baseball the day that this episode is dropping. Wouldn't they have to quarantine for 14 days? Because that's great that they've had no positive tests before now, but it takes 7 to 14 days sometimes for the virus to show up. So why would you risk it and let them go play another day? I, I, I don't understand. I don't I just I don't understand. There's so many things in the world I just don't understand right now um and this is one of them the math just isn't adding up for me and i just i don't know what the hell major league baseball is doing uh but enough about that um on a serious note uh, i would like to pay respects and say godspeed to a true legend in the television industry regis philbin passed away this week uh regis could do it all and he was like none other uh morning tv host for years uh, started out in L.A. on a morning show, then had uh, Regis and Kathy, later Regis and Kelly, and uh, also was very successful with anything he did. Uh, who Wants to Be a Millionaire? He was the host of that for for a very long time. He made appearances at WrestleMania. A uh, long time, long time Notre Dame um, fan. I wouldn't even call it fan. I would say just say he was a part of Notre Dame. Uh, was Regis, uh, and that's where he will be laid to rest uh, later this week. He will be laid to rest at Notre Dame, which is very fitting for Regis. Uh, Again, just a a big influence for me in terms of uh, being a television personality and uh, being authentic and organic. I use those words a lot on this show because that's what I want Random Thoughts and Best Regards to be, authentic and organic. Uh, Regis was that. If you ever watch his interviewing style and the way he was, he was just such a, a real person. And his personality just resonated through TV. A true loss for the television industry. And uh, all I can say is thank you, Regis, and rest easy. Other than that, 
we are going to get out of here uh, next week. Join us. Uh, my friend Sarah will be on Random Thoughts and Best Regards. We're going to have a <laughs> great conversation um, about things that are going on in her life out in L.A. We're going to talk in and out burger. We're going to talk about what happens when you get shit stuck in your Roomba. Um, so you're definitely not going to want to miss this episode. Um, so until then, stay safe. Stay healthy. Thanks for listening to my dad's show.